Okay, so the update on Boston is this. The venue will be the Converse World Headquarters, which is going to be super cool. Really looking forward to that. And we're going to open up another 100 tickets. And that's going to happen before this show goes live. So hopefully there will still be some available. Uh, we have 200 slots total that we can fill up, plus the people who are actually going to be uh, you know, on stage, us and everybody else. So 200 slots. We're opening up 100 more. Um, all the event will be at makingitpodcast.com slash one zero zero. And we'll see you in Boston. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 94 of Making It. This is Bob Claggett here with David Picciuto. Hey, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Very good. Good. And Jimmy DeResta. I'm not going to have to see you today. <laughs> Thank you. Today Thank you. <laughs> I'm giving the week off. Yeah. I, I might change it up. I might get rid of the how are you doing? It sounds so ridiculous huh. when I listen back to it. <laughs> it's just fun. It's fun. We're just having fun, so... We're just having fun. Just having fun. You can replace it with that. So I can say, hey, how you doing? And you can say, we're just having fun. <laughs> cool. Jimmy, how are you? I'm good. I'm really good. I'm, I'm excited. I'm learning new stuff and I'll explain it in a minute. It's really exciting to learn new things and do well at it. Go ahead and explain it. Oh, I, I talked about John Saunders from, uh, or Sanders, I'm not sure how to say his name, from NYC CNC. And we've been talking this week uh, through the email. And he sent me a lesson plan on Fusion. He basically recorded a private lesson for me, which was so amazing and gracious of him. And last night, I finally sat down at the computer and I went through his lesson plan and that got me started. I started making other bodies and some objects on my own from that small lesson plan. So I I said, I go, look, I don't want to get all in your business, I said, but if you have the time to send me another plan, please do. But in the meantime, I'm, I'm kind of on the way to learning, so... I want to thank him tremendously. And uh, Fusion is something I've been wanting to learn. I know, Bob, you're into Fusion a little bit, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm still getting started in it. But Actually, I'll put a link in in the show notes. Um, so I'm working on designing a, something in Fusion right now, and I was having trouble with it, with just even the idea of how to go about modeling it. Yep. Because I'd only worked in a certain direction. And so Bill uh, Duran from Punish Props sent me this playlist, which is made by Autodesk that they put up on one of their many, many channels. And it goes through the process of modeling a motorcycle helmet. So it's this completely freeform, round oh, that object. Sounds not, fun. You know, you're not, it's like not extruding a flat thing into a, an extrusion. And so it's a really different way to go about it, but it's been really helpful. Oh, so I need to know that. You may want to go through that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll put a link to it in the, in the show notes. Or like general woodworking stuff where you have square boards, would you prefer to use Fusion over SketchUp? I think right now, no, because I'm still kind of, you know, I'm just not super comfortable with Fusion yet, but eventually, yes. So the thing about Fusion, in case anybody that doesn't know this, is a parametric modeling program. And my understanding of what that means is that everything is made through math, so you don't have to put in the math. But, like, if you make a box on screen, it's not actually making that box. It's making the math that creates that box. So you go through this process, you make a box, you do all the stuff to it and you go, dun, 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 all these layers of stuff. And then you realize that that box you made at the beginning was the wrong size. You can go back, change the size of that box and all of the steps after that will update 
to match the new size of the box. And so I think from like a woodworking perspective, that could be huge because if you forget to build in some sort of a, an overhang or like the material thickness changes or something like that, you can go back and modify it without having to remodify everything in the chain. So mm-hmm. that, I think eventually I will for that reason. Are you using this, Bob? This, this, uh, it's called the 3d connection connection, this mouse that makes you fly through space. Uh, no, I'm not. Yeah, it's uh, my, it's a, <laughs> a gift mouse that makes you fly through space. It's a, a gift from my, my buddy Mike, who was in one of my vlogs. Mike, who's doing the tentacle lamp, he gave this to me as a gift to inspire me to get into the programming. It's a uh, 3D C O N N E X I O N. That's how it's spelled, and it's a, a mouse where you pull and tug and push. It's I'm showing you guys this in space here. This rubber handle, it's like a knob. It doesn't completely turn, but you can gesture it to turn left, right, up, down, in, out. And it basically makes you float through space. So you can immediately just toggle on that thing and float right around your object as opposed to sliding, uh-huh. a, sliding a mouse or dragging a finger on a mouse pad. So it's a, it's a great thing. And I've had this sitting on my desk probably for about three months, and I finally opened it. And last night I finally got to the getting. So I'm excited. I was working until about three in the morning on this program and just was doing it just before we began since I'm back in the shop back since I'm back from the shop I was just doing it again so it's exciting so do you have a project that you're like starting with fusion to learn it or are you just going through and just learning some basic stuff or what uh well I I I I signed a a a deal with uh I mean I don't think it's it's a it's a secret or anything but I I I have a a deal with uh Tormac so I just signed a deal this week with Tormac, so this, I guess this would be an announcement if anybody cares. I'm going to get a, a Tormac 440 CNC machine, and so I need to learn the software to drive the projects I want to make. And so I have two projects that I'm developing right now, and one is the Witchblade 3, which is my – it's a skeletal handle Bowie knife that holds the that holds the, uh, the leather band tool. And then um, I've had an idea for a really long time to make my own – razor blade carrier that you would wear on your belt. So I'm going to start developing those two projects as tools that I could either just set out, I give those, I give out the software open source. I'd probably give it out open source to those who want to make them for themselves. And then I'd probably sell some of them on my website. So that's probably what I'm planning on doing. And so I started talking with John about helping me develop those files and obviously getting into fusion is something I need to do anyway. So I started working on those things on my own, but I'm so far from like a finished design. I'm just getting comfortable with making boxes and cut throughs and splices and, and all those things. So, yeah. <clears throat> One of the, another interesting thing about fusion that people may not know is it's, um, it's not just modeling. It's like the entire tool chain for CNC yep. um, or for 3d printing really for that matter. Um, but so you can model something and then you can push out the G code for, you can create the, the milling operation. You can send it out to a printer but even with before that, it has um, different, and I can't remember the terminology, but it has different like... Simulator? Yeah, it has simulator, but it has ways that you can create rigs and things like that. So if you needed to make an object that had a joint in it, you can simulate how that joint acts. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you can create the two pieces, how they connect. You can say that like they can't pass this certain point, you know, like it only a hinge only opens to a certain degree or whatever. And so there's a lot of tools like that. You can give all these constraints... Um, to make sure that they they work within the constraints that you want, which you know for like a basic modeling something you're going to 3D print maybe that doesn't matter. But if you were going to be like say you were mo- making your knife that you're talking about, mm-hmm. and you have the little thumb rest or the thumb thing that pushes the blade out, right? 
you could model in the action of that thumb right. button to make sure that it moved like you wanted it to move before you actually even tested it in the real world. So yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, it's funny. It's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, it's obviously every day is amazing. We wake up and this new technology is available to us. And, you know, every week there's something incredibly new uh, that you could only have imagined. And when I was a student in say 95, 96, I was, I, I from time to time, I would often take classes at my school because I'm a teacher and I can take them for free or, you know, complimentary because I'm a teacher. And I was learning Maya uh, leading up to 2000, uh, till 2001. Anyway, I was learning Maya, the programming, and at the time, the programming had gone, the program itself had gone from like about $35,000 to $7,000. So like it totally became affordable. And then I found out that if you were a teacher, there was like kind of when they started opening up teacher discounts or educational discounts. And then I, I bought the license for one year for like $2,000 because it was one year license was because you were a teacher. And last night, Fusion said your trial has expired because I opened it up months ago. And then it says, but then right away, there was another interface. It says, if you're a teacher or an educator, if you're a student or an educator, click here. And so I clicked there and I thought it would take me into a whole new question and answer thing. And it just said, okay, now you have it for, for three years for free. So <laughs> what is amazing to me, because like they're basically giving it away, a program that was so powerful, that is so powerful, that was so powerful years ago that they charged 30000 plus for it, for license. And they just like, it's like the honesty system. It's like, do you want to pay for it? Or do you, are you a teacher? Like your choice. And I thought it was going to give me some kind of discounted thing or whatever. But I, I'm the, the long exhausting point I'm making is that it's just amazing that now they know this technology will do so much more in so many hands that they're just basically giving it away. And, mm-hmm. you know, how they make money on it somewhere down the road, I'm not sure. But it's just incredible that these programs are, it's like living and breathing and it's like open to the masses. Yeah. We, uh, David and I went to visit the Instructables, uh, place in San Francisco. And then we got to go to the Autodesk building and it was really interesting listening to the people at Instructables talk about their own by Autodesk, listening to them talk about like the idea behind Autodesk and what they do with their software. It used to be that they made these really high end like architecture pieces of software that, you know, you, none of us would ever need because we don't do that professionally. And so they had the software that was only geared towards this very specific um, people in very specific jobs. And as, as they built their software portfolio that if they only pursued that type of stuff, it would get them completely disconnected from us or from regular people who just wanted to be able to design something. And so they have this whole initiative and I don't know like the ins and outs of it or anything, but to give away all this software for free and make things, the software that like can't be purchased, you know, like stuff like one, two, three D design, it's just free just to get people learning and just to get people creating. Um, and it's really cool. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a good idea. I don't think it's, you know, like hurting their bottom line or anything cause they're still selling, expensive software to people who have the money to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, this right. gave me the options. Like, do you want to buy this or do you want to just take it for free as a teacher? And I'm like, Hey, I'm a teacher. It's not a lie. Yeah. And it, it didn't ask for any qualifications. I, and the reason why, because in the past I've, I paid for educational discounts as an educator and, you know, through the school of visual arts and whomever, and you got to qualify, you got to show that you're, you know, you got to show a pay stub or whatever. You, you can't just make that, make that up. Mm-hmm. And these, this time around, they're just like, okay, cool. Good luck. I'm like, that's it? Like, yeah, yeah, go <laughs> ahead. It's okay. I don't know. 
That's what the computer said. You're all like, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) No, I was in the mood to fill out 17 questions. Well, David, what about you? What have you been up to? Right now, today I'm working on this CNC slash laser plaque uh, for one of our Patreon members. A long time ago, we used to have a reward that if you reach this level, you would get a plaque. And poor John Cornwell, um, I promised him this plaque a long, long time ago. Jimmy's just flashing a whole bunch of money in my face right now. <laughs> I think he wants to buy your plaque. Yeah, I want to buy that plaque. And, uh, somebody, somebody paid me in cash today. Sorry. <laughs> so I'm working on that. And uh, John, if you're listening, this you're, you're going to receive it any day. And I apologize for the long delay, but I'm going to make it right. Uh, and then starting tomorrow, me and my camera buddy, Eric, we're going to film making walnut wooden record crates. Uh, they're going to be fancy. Uh, they're going to have hairpin legs and dovetailed corners. Uh, not hand cut, but uh, router dovetail corners. And I'm pretty happy with the design, so I'm excited to get that started. Nice. A lot of people have asked me to make record crates so that'll be cool i'll have a place to send them <laughs> all right i can say no but here's some really awesome ones yes. that david did it's so it's so rewarding to make the router dovetail joints because you don't spend the entire day cutting and they work perfect it's so nice once you tune them in <laughs> yeah. and you know in a, in a year from now no one's gonna everyone's gonna say like, oh, you did such beautiful dovetail joints no one's gonna like remember that you routed them especially when like right. your grandchildren <laughs> are looking at them going look grandpa made these he cuts dovetails <laughs> speaking of uh when i was at my granddad's shop I, he had a, a a router jig for doing dovetails and i picked it up and i picked up all the bits and they've been in a box since i got back i have no reason to use them <laughs> i need to come up with a, a reason i guess but i've never like i've never tried that I've, I've heard people say in the past that using jigs like that can be kind of hard like to get it right or something but i have no experience there so i don't know well, I will say it is easier to do the finger joints, and you. I think you have the the, the Incra finger box yep. joint jig, and that once yeah. you get that set up, it's pretty easy to use. There's, I think, there's a prettiness to dovetails. Yeah, but it's all what you want to do and how much time you want to spend doing it. You know what? I I needed an excuse to make the dovetail to because I bought the peach tree dovetail joiner that I saw at, when I was at the Atlanta Woodworking Show, and I bought it on on location after I watched the demonstration. I'm like, oh, that looks fairly easy. I took it home and it was easy, but I needed an excuse to make boxes with dovetails. So I made these shop bins because I was kind of knocking them together quickly for my ice pick production and stuff. So I actually did a video on make for it about six months ago. So I, and I had a lot of extra wood left over and I made like eight more. So now between me and Taylor and, you know, she has like bins of polishing compounds and stuff that she uses for chairs and boxes with her lace and her tools in them and what I use them for. So we got about eight. 10, 10 or 12 of these boxes that I made, all dovetail joints with my name routed in them because it was part of the video. And they're really convenient. So I have that as a standard size in my CNC machine so that whenever I need more of them, which I haven't needed anymore, but when I have a scrap of wood, pile of scrap wood that I, I will suit the job, I make these bins. I've done it three times now. Um, so I make these dovetail hmm. bins and they stay together. You know, they will get knocked around in the shop. And because they have dovetail corners, I have a little bit more respect for them. I don't. Get, they don't let them get too much pain on them or get banged up too much. <laughs> they definitely won't end up in the. They definitely won't end up in the fire, but the box bin like some of my other. If I need a quick box, I usually just like air nail a box together for whatever it is, and then eventually I just throw it into the fire bin because it just takes up space. 
But these dovetail, and I made them also, they nest together. So if I have 10 of them, I stack them right on top of one another because the bottom drops out a little bit. So it puzzles into the top of the other one. So that, if you ever wanted to experiment with a dovetail, make a box that's just like a box bin to like organize, you know, glue bottles or something. Yeah. I'll probably have to do that on my Twitch stream. That'd be a good way to, to do it. Usually if I make anything that's a box that has a box in it on YouTube, people go, oh, wow, a box. <laughs> like, well, most things are made of boxes, really. I mean, you know. <laughs> so for me this week, what's coming out this week? Um, I made a bench out of a log. Oh, cool. I took a log and it's actually behind me. Uh, you guys can see it. Ooh. It's got a bunch of stuff on it. Took a took a log and that was cut in half that I got from my granddad. And I don't know what kind of wood it is, something he had for a long time. And <clears throat> the thing that was interesting about this was I wanted to put I wanted to make a cavity on the inside of it so that you could take the top layer off and have some hidden storage on the inside of this thing. But it was too tall to go through my bandsaw on its side to make that cut, that long cut. So I ended up like, I'm sure there was an easier way to do this. I ended up laying it down flat, cutting the whole thing in half, then laying both of those halves on their sides and running them through to cut off the top section and then reattach the top section and reattach the bottom section. You made a large bandsaw box. Yeah, kind of. (laughs) And then while I had those uh, apart, I cut off a little notch on both ends and then made a steel frame to fit around it. So it looks like the steel frame is embedded in the ends of on both ends of this oh, piece of cool. wood. Um, I'm really happy with how it came out. I, I think it looks really good. But it was um, a lot of hammer and chisel to hollow out the inside. It was a lot of like hand plane to get the top flat. So some trying to get into some different stuff, you know, just to do things. And it was funny because that was a lot more of a manual labor type project than what I typically do. So it was, you know, two hours of like chiseling out stuff and it was fun. Um, and then I did another project today that is for a couple weeks from now, but I finally don't hate the jigsaw. So I have this jigsaw that I've had forever and it's awful and I always complain about it and everybody goes, just get a better one. So today I knew I was going to have to use it. And so I went to buy a new one. They didn't have the one I wanted. So I ended up getting a DeWalt and it worked great and it was like totally easy to use and you know, I mean, it's still probably my least favorite tool in the world, but it's not as bad as it was. <laughs> They're not bad when you have variable speed and you have that those like one, two, three settings on the blade to like jump in, chip out. You ever see those one, two, three settings on the yeah. blade? So mm-hmm. play, yeah, this when, one has play with all those different variables and you'll find that you have like either a really nice cut or, or a slow, laborious cut. Yeah. Th- this one cut nicely and, and like it was square, which is one of the big one of the big problems I've had in the past is just the blade will drift at the bottom, you know, for whatever reason. And so the, this one had a nice square cut and I could guide it where I wanted it to. And I wasn't even using like the thin blade, just kind of a typical blade. So yeah, I don't hate the jigsaw. <laughs> cool. Um, what are we talking about? Oh, wait, can we give a Boston update? Might as well. Okay. Here's the deal. We have our location. <laughs> For Boston, 100th episode, which is, is six episodes from now. So we should probably get this thing wrapped up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, we have our location. I'm not going to tell you the name because we don't have a contract sign. And I really just don't want to have to like go back and forth and stuff. Um, we have a really awesome place that should hold way more people than we will probably have. And so that's pretty awesome. Um, 
David and Kelly have worked out hotel stuff. You want to give us any info on that? Uh, yes, it's a, let's see. Anything you can. You don't have to give details, but just yeah, yeah. so people can plan. It's a hotel, and it is a five-minute walk from the venue. It'll be a slight discounted rate, and uh, it will include breakfasts and all that. So uh, I'm not going to give any more information out on that just yet because I don't really have it in front of me, but we will post a link in the show notes. And um, I think there's actually we, – we might work out – I have to talk to Kelly because she's been doing all the research. There might be two – blocks that we're going to to have for the people coming one will be by the airport that will include a shuttle and then one will be by the venue but i i could be i could be wrong details hmm. are getting worked out it's they're coming they're coming so i yeah. am going to book my flight probably today or tomorrow and uh whether or not the contract is signed because i'm i think uh, i think we're close enough where i can commit Oh, yeah. Well, we're doing it. I mean, it's happening one way or the other. It's going to happen in the parking lot if it doesn't happen inside. It'll be in the Walmart parking lot if it has to be. So, yeah. Well, actually, you know, we could invade a food court and a mall and probably be just fine. Like, (laughs) they can't kick you out of a food court, right? As long as you buy something. So, (laughs) Jay Bates and I got kicked out of Dave and Buster's a couple weeks ago, so anything is possible. (laughs) True. So, what we're going to do, I think, is go ahead and open up another 100 tickets. For this, um, we'll do that this week before the show goes out. So this, you'll already hear about this, and hopefully, we'll be able to open up even more than that. But I think a hundred is a hundred more is safe before we get the contract signed, um, because people have been super generous about emailing us with options for different locations. So, God forbid, this one does fall through, we have other options that we can fall back on if we need to. So, anything else, Boston wise? Uh, are we going to tape the show on a fr- on a Saturday or a Sunday? Do we know what the day? Saturday. Saturday. Oh, cool. That means I can Saturday. go to I can go to school. Friday, twelve to. I'm going to take you to school, nerd. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, so I'll drive. I'll drive out to Boston right after school on the Friday. Cool. And we'll probably do some sort of a, a get together Friday night. You know, for whoever's around. Then uh, we have no idea what that'll be. We haven't talked about it, but we'll find something to do. Uh, I think that's Boston news. What are we talking about? I think we're going to talk about reusing. Maybe, and th- this is a wide topic. Maybe it's a maybe some people reuse to lessen their footprint. Maybe some people reuse to go the cheaper route, or they just feel better, or things were made better back in the day. But we're going to talk about reusing. And the idea came from watching Jimmy's video this morning of all the vices, and Thank as you. he's going through all the vices. He's saying, you know, I got this at this garage sale or I got this at this flea market or whatever. And so I'm going to throw this off to Jimmy and because Jimmy seems to be the one who buys the most used and probably (laughs) has the most knowledge of buying used. Well, lately I get really, really expensive free machines or I buy cheap used ones. Uh, so <laughs> no, I've been I've been doing well with the sponsors, and I you know I, I tweeted this week I got a I got a Tormach, uh machine. Well, I just mentioned that, but I also get I'm getting a I got a plasma cut table from Lincoln, which I have to set up. I need to actually have electric installed to run that. So I'm getting some really cool, fun, exciting machines, which are going to advance my my capabilities. And can I be up, a troll? Can I be a troll real quick? Go do ahead. it. Do why, it. Why Why is it the people? that already have tools are the ones that get all the free tools and the people that can't get the tools don't get the free tools. Well, it's real easy. All you got to do is 
work every single day of your life for the next 20 years, never sleep, ruin every relationship you have because you never leave the workshop, uh, don't have kids until after 50, and uh, then people start giving you free stuff. It's really easy. It's super easy. It's super easy. No, so... Uh, I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> I'm prepared for that answer. <laughs> Uh, I I love old tools. I love buying and using old tools because, and I've said this before, I feel old tools have a soul. But the other thing too is, is like these tools were made so much better. Everybody knows that when you get a casting of something that was made in the 50s, 40s, just there was more care put into it. There was somebody who was an artist who, who made the wooden pattern with pride. Now you get like a, you get a, an anvil or you get a, a, a vice made you know, overseas by Harbor Freight, it's just so technical. It's like so utilitarian. It doesn't have any sex appeal. So that's why I like old cast iron things like the vices I've talked about. And people say, what makes those vices no good compared to those vices? To me, it's it's a bit janky. The, the thread doesn't feel right. You feel like you're going to snap something if you over tighten it. And, and because it's porous cast, it's like a if you hit it open, it looks like styrofoam you know but microscopically as opposed to something like the the older metal just it feels like you can just keep cutting into it and it's like cutting like solid steel you know when my jaws get banged up on my vice i just grind down to a clean new set uh and the and the newer kind of like i I keep Mm. using this as an example i love harbor freight but like the harbor freight versions of cast just doesn't seem to have that same feel and that same sex appeal as far as styling goes and then it's cool. I think it's cool to buy an old anvil or, or whatever it is from someplace because it has a history. It has a story. And that's kind of what I like about buying old stuff. And you, you, like I said, you, you get a set of tools from somebody who passed away. Um, I recently uh, – I talked about this a few podcasts ago, but I recently got a, a whole haul of tools from a grandfather who passed away. And this guy was an amazing craftsman. I didn't know him. And uh, his daughter – whose daughter is a friend of my sister's. And she said, I want to give these tools to somebody that'll use them. I don't want to take the time to sell them on Craigslist. I don't have that time. I just want to give everything to one person I know will care about them. And she's like, well, that would be my dad and my, and my brother. So my sister hooked it up and I got a whole bunch of stuff. And that's how I end up with like kind of some tools that I don't really, like they're just there. Like, uh, cause I take a whole basement full of stuff and I end up with all these things that are just there. And then I end up giving those to fans. So when someone comes to visit me and says, Hey, I need a vice. I'm like, Hey, do you want any one of these three or four vices? Take one of those. So I feel like I'm, I'm giving back, you know? Um, but there's something nice about using somebody's tools. Somebody that this particular band was a, a, a German craftsman. He came here from Germany. He was extremely talented. The, the mother showed me all around the house and showed me all the things that he had made. And so I was proud to, to have this guy's tools. And then when I'm at flea markets and stuff, sometimes you see like a really cool tool that is just sort of lost its way. Whoever owned it, they don't even know, but it's just a cool old object. And I'm like, damn, I, I want that. I just, I want that around me because it just makes me feel cool. That's it. I'm done rambling. <laughs> <laughs> makes me feel cool. <laughs> It also it also looks cool in the shop too. I mean, there's I I see pictures of your shop or somebody else's shop, and I see these old old monstrous tools, and they just it just it just screams at me like come use me, you know? Yeah. And well, a lot of the, a lot of the newer tools, which I mostly have, I don't have that many old tools. They just they don't have that same kind of inviting feel to them. I can talk about 
vintage guitar amps and vintage guitars because I have a bunch of those. And they, to me, they sound different. They sound cool. They right. look cool. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm part of that instrument when I, when I play them. And I would imagine somebody like you or, or anybody else that has these little tools or it kind of feels like you, you are working with the tool instead of against it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like, I kind of, I think the same way about instruments, um, that they have like this experience with them, you know, that somebody else played them and played certain stuff on them and with them. And then when you get it and you get to play on it, you're like just the next in line with this instrument that's already been experienced. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the way I've always felt about guitars and keyboards and stuff. Whereas if you go to buy a brand new guitar or something in a store, it's just like, here's this fresh new thing that has no life, you know, and it's cool. Now I can make it my own and I can put my own stickers on it or whatever. But, you know, it's like it didn't have a story with it already. But, you know, instruments do and tools do as well. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, the fear that I have of getting old tools is the, the possible maintenance. If I want a new tool, I want to be able to use it right then and there and, and right away and not have to fuss and not have to fix. And if I need to get a blade, I know that I can get a blade because it fits. Is that something you ever worry about? Uh, once in a while. Um, but to me, it's a challenge. I, I look at old equipment that's been sort of abandoned and I say, I can make that work. In fact, I had a, I had a TV meeting with somebody about a month ago and we're talking about TV ideas. And everybody knows my, my thoughts on the TV business, which is probably why I didn't get a call back. But we, we had a conversation and they said, what, uh, what would you want to do? And after a few conversations, a few ideas in this conversation, I was like, hey, how about a show where I go and I restore antique machinery? You know, I go and because there's this 12 foot lathe that I want to get. I can't find the owner. The property seems to be abandoned. It's a junkyard on, the, on Route 30 in Middleburg. And there's a 12-foot lathe sitting there on the side of this guy's, like, about 10 feet from the road. So he's got all the banding cars, and among the banding cars is this giant lathe made probably 130, 40 years ago. And I would love to get that thing and get that going again. And just to me, it's just a challenge. It, it looks totally complicated to do, but to me... I look at that and say, oh, wow, I would abandon every other obligation I have (laughs) and spend like five days trying to get that thing freed up and moving just for the challenge of it. And I don't know what it is about that, but Hmm. there's something something rewarding about trying to figure things out and get them back in order again. And and it's it's kind of sad because it's it's just like, remember when in The Wizard of Oz, the Tin Man was just stuck in the the forest and he couldn't move because he wasn't oiled. Nobody was taking care of him. And then you oil them up, and then this thing, you know, it's got a heart and soul. Well, you needed a heart, but it had some soul. <laughs> and uh, so that's that's kind of what it's like. It's like discovering something in the forest and being like, wow, somebody actually, like, made money with this thing. This was – somebody hmm. came to this thing every single day and had to do work on this thing. And somebody wrote a huge check for this at one point in, you know, 1860, and this was a big decision to buy now here it is rotting away on the side of the road just because nobody knows what to do with it. And I guess it's not always the case, but with a lot of those types of things, once you do that maintenance to get them back up and restored, they probably need less maintenance long-term than something that was created now. Yeah, somebody somebody made a funny comment. Uh, somebody made a funny comment on my, my printing press video. So let, we just do the rela- relatable time frame. Someone said, can you imagine in a hundred years from now 
somebody pulling an Epson printer out of an antique shop and getting it working, like taking the time to get it working, compared to what Jimmy did for this 100-year-old printer and getting it working. <laughs> the Epson printer is basically just going to be like crumpled up paper in relationship to the technology at the time. And you're not going to have drivers. You're not going to have the right plug. God forbid you even think trying to find the right ink, you know? Yeah. So I, I have this uh, Land Cruiser that's from 1991, which still in my mind doesn't seem that old, but it's pretty old at this point. Um, and it's a beast. I mean, it's like a good, solid machine. They don't, you know, they last forever. They're made to be fixed on the side of the road with hand tools and stuff. And so I, um, on the way back from the hurricane stuff, my power steering went out and I had to take apart the power steering pump. And it turned out that the, I thought I just had to replace the pump. So I ordered a new pump. It came in and I couldn't get the pulley off the front of the pump. So I had to order a pulley as well. And those two parts together ended up being like, gosh, I don't know, 300 bucks or something. So it was more than I wanted to spend. But at the same time, once I had the parts in hand, it took me literally five minutes to install them and have the whole thing fixed. And it was working. And those parts were original to the car. So from 1991, those parts lasted that long, um, which says to me, like, it's, it was really easy to fix and it will probably last another 20 some odd years before that thing goes wrong. Something else may go wrong, you know, but um, just having, I don't know, having something that like I'm comfortable working on because we also have a minivan. That's a Honda. I wouldn't try to work on that thing because it's all computerized and it's all, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's got all this like plastic wrapped around every piece. So if you want to get to one thing, you have to take off 10 layers of plastic. But man, this old Land Cruiser just, it's all out there. It's all accessible on purpose, you know? I mean, it was made that way to to be able to uh, to fix and to take care of yourself, which is one of the many reasons that I wanted to get it versus buying like a modern Toyota, same company, you know, like same ideals and stuff. But to buy like a modern Forerunner would be the same thing as like buying a minivan. You know, it's just like stuff you can't fix yourself. My so. father has a 1967 Chevy Impala, and when you open the hood on that compared to when you open the hood on my car, which is just you know six years old, it's completely different. Like it's my car is mm. all compact and everything like fits together just perfect and barely mm. fits underneath the hood. When I, when you open the hood to that 67 Impala, like you can fit three babies, a human <laughs> adult and a dog in there and there's room to work and things you can get to things. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I don't have as many old tools as I would like to have. Um, and I think, I'm not sure that there's a reason for that, but um, the ones that I do, so like I bought that old lathe and I think I could probably, if I really was motivated, I could probably get it into a, a situation where I felt comfortable with it. But because it's so old and so loose and so like just unkept, it scares me. And because, you know, there's like that quality control that you get with buying something new, theoretically, <laughs> is not there on mm -hmm. something like that. So do you ever run into that type of thing, Jimmy, when you're buying like these giant machines that are full of rust and, you know, do you go like, this is probably going to explode in my face and take off an arm or are you just like, yeah, 
Whatever. Well, I tell you, I, I was intimidated by my bridge port. And I didn't pay for that, so to speak. I, I paid to have it moved, which cost me a lot of money. But once I got it set up and electrified, which took about a year to finally get it electrified, I, I was a little nervous when I turned it on. I, I, I checked a lot of YouTube videos just to make sure I knew what I was in for. But that thing is so powerful that, God forbid, you know, my hand never got caught in any of the turning, the mandrel or whatever. And, you know, I wasn't in a safe position to shut it off. So when it's when I'm spinning a fly cutter or something, I'm really cautious uh, because you can get pulled into that thing, and especially with my my lathe too. Although something about my lathe seems warm and fuzzy, I know people are going to laugh at this. It, it, when I'm like working on it and I got my hand, everyone's like your hand's going to get ripped off. And it's a belt drive, and a belt drive. I mean, if I, it's you could kind of stop the lathe if you needed to. It depends on what speed you're in, and if you're working in the back gears, you can't really do that. But because it's a belt drive, it, it doesn't seem as dangerous as like direct drive. Nowadays, you'd have V-belts on something which you could never stall a V-belt. But with a flat belt drive, you could, you could probably slow down the, uh, you know, the spindle. I know I can. And uh, so it doesn't seem as ominous. You know what I mean? Mm. But <clears throat> there's, uh, there's just something sexy about that machine and just having watched so many people use it on YouTube when, I, when the one became available to me, I was like, oh, I have to get this. And, you know, it is something that I always wanted for a long time, a big lathe like that. And then when I saw, it's so funny because people know me well enough to know that, like, I can't stop. I have, like, a hoarder gene. So I'm like, I got, I got, a, I got an eight-foot lathe. Oh, no, I need a 12-foot lathe. <laughs> I just got to keep going bigger and bigger. So I, gotta, I have no room for stuff anymore. I'm looking forward to Jimmy's one million subscriber video where it's just going to be his <laughs> collection of lathes. <laughs> It'll be a collection of <laughs> containers full of stuff. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> so... What what would you do with sorry David? What would you do with the twelve foot lathe? I would set it up because now I have what's called my I call it my junkyard in the back of my property. So I'd set it up in my junkyard and I would try and get it working. Then I would make stuff on it. No, well, <laughs> I know that. What make what would you make with it? Something really long. <laughs> like Fishing porch, poles. Like a, I could make my I could make my porch poles because we have nine foot porch poles and. Mm, okay. And not that I mean it, that would be a tremendous amount of effort, but I'd make one porch pole, and then I'd buy the rest and tell everybody <laughs> I made all of them. Huh. Shoot the so same one from five cameras. The, hmm? So where have you had the most luck with uh, at, at finding these machines? Craigslist, flea markets, friends, family. Yeah, I'm always looking on Craigslist. That's how I just recently got this. Uh, do you guys see the saw filer in one of my vlogs? I got this old machine yeah, that files cool. saws. And what's funny about that sofa, I didn't know that existed. Uh, a couple of years ago, me and Taylor were driving through Alabama, and I bought this a handsaw, a distant, a distin, however you say that name, a distant handsaw. And it was really skinny. And I looked at it, and it was like skinny to the point where like half the logo was gone. And I'm thinking, how can this handsaw be skinny? I didn't know that an autofiler existed. And whoever owned this handsaw had it autofiled so many times that we were missing like probably like an inch and a half of the thickness of the, the band of the handsaw. And the tip of it, you mm. know, typically it has like a three inch nose, like a, like an old handsaw, right? This has like a one inch high nose. So the whole saw has been sit, filed down so many times or been resharpened so often. Um, so when I, when I saw one of these machines, I might've saw on YouTube for the very first time, I'm like, Oh my God, that answers the question about why this handsaw I bought at this antique shop is so skinny because it was just auto sharpened so often. And then recently on Craigslist, this auto sharpener I saw and it was in the vicinity of my house. I was like, wow, I can drive 10 miles and buy one of these things. And so when I showed up, the guy goes, I have the, the sharpener, 
you could actually take one of those things and put a whole new set of teeth on it. I didn't know that. You could literally, like, mm-hmm. let's say you cut through a nail and you just jam up like a bunch of teeth, or you, you know, something happens and the teeth break off. You could just literally set it and cut a whole new set of those teeth with this machine I got. And and so, imagine die okay, cutting so here's that, an idea. that tooling steel. That's how powerful this little machine is. Here's an idea for you. You take one of your saws that you were talking about restoring a saw with that, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you take one of those with like a like a I don't know what you call these type of saws, but like a big one, like one you would cut logs with versus a, a fine one. So you take one of your big ones, you restore that, but then you flip it over and you put fine teeth on the other side and you add those teeth from scratch. That way you have like a dual saw that you can flip over for two different purposes. Yeah, that's 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 actually was a concept. I was thinking about doing that, like doing like a rip saw on one side. The only problem, nice. with, I mean, that would be fun for video and it would look cool, but it would totally pull out the, the woodworking trolls because once you were a few cut into a long log, it would start to resaw the back of the cut. But if it didn't matter, if it was a rough cut, it really wouldn't matter. But yeah, that's something mm-hmm. I wanted to try and do is like put a whole new set of teeth on the back of a saw because you have a nice clean flat edge to start with. You don't have to die cut through old teeth. But uh, just when I discovered that, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I didn't know that this thing existed. So I'm super excited. It only t- it takes up a lot of bench space, which I have to figure out where and how I'm going to set it up. I'll probably set it up inside one of the containers. But just the discovery of, like, the mechanism of this thing. So I, I, it's another thing I really love about old machines is the way they solve problems. This file has to go like this, zip through one tooth blade, and then in that action, as it picks up, it moves over three millimeters to the next tooth blade. And so how they figured out all this motion, this happens, that happens, this happens, that happens. And a lot of that stuff, a lot of this physical, mechanical stuff happens in old machines. Now it's you just have a servo that does the timing. And so that's intriguing to me. Because that basically, you could solve all these problems with, with physical, mechanical stuff. And by experiencing all these machines, it's just all these little physical, mechanical things go into your vocabulary. So when it comes down the road and you're designing something new like my bandsaw stand, which I just made, I got to push a lever and I got to put my bandsaw on three feet. So it goes on four wheels and then you push a lever and then it goes on to three feet. So all that experience I've, I've soaked up from playing with all these old machines goes right into me making that thing and solving that problem in a couple of hours instead of getting stalled and not being able to figure it out. So that's another reason why I like these old machines is because of all the physical, mechanical problems that they solve. Have you ever bought any that just like you had well int- good intentions of, uh, you know, making this one work and you're going to start using it and then just like totally unusable, unfixable, had to toss it? You probably didn't toss it. You probably kept it. I have everything. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have an old blacksmith drill press, which I thought I would use. And then I started playing with it. And it was just such a, it was just so inefficient. I was like, why am I doing this? And then I ended up using the fancy flywheel for a wheel in one of the cars I made on TV. So, and I always regretted that because we ended up giving the car to somebody and I gave away a really cool wheel, which was like the crank wheel for this drill press I had. So I, that drill press is sitting in my junkyard in the backyard. And every time I see it, I think to myself, why did I give that wheel away? I should have kept the wheel. So now part of me wants to restore it just to bring it back to original unuseful drill press because I've like I feel like I've I've molested it by taking the wheel off and using it for something else because I really wasn't happy with the performance of the machine so it doesn't really happen that often I only really kind of buy things I know that I could turn into something cool or at least you know use in a video eventually so I have a lot of things sitting around waiting to use in a video that that in my video where I talk about my vices that one big giant blacksmith vice is so incredible you got to see it in person 
it's so massive and it's so heavy and I can't wait to, to put that together on a stand. That's, that's going to be a video coming up soon. I'll probably do that at one point coming up. So I get excited about these things. And then, I, then I'll do that and that'll force me to use it. So then I got to heat some metal and bend metal on it. So that'll, that's another reason why I kind of corner myself into these pigeonhole myself into these cool projects because that forces me to, to deal with other disciplines as well. Hmm. So David, you've been doing over the last year or so, I guess you've been doing a lot of like, um, you know, going to flea markets and buying some stuff and reusing it. Do you mm-hmm. have a, is that just like something that's fun for you to do? Or is there a kind of an idea behind that? Or what's the, what caused that? I think going to uh, these antique stores at first was just kind of like nostalgic. Like I would see the things that from my childhood, I'm like, ah, it's so cool. And then it just kind of like, I think I should start buying some of these things and repurposing it. And I have a whole um, shelf full of things that I need to, to redo. Some of the easy projects to redo are clocks and these old weather stations with the thermometer, barometer, and, and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I picked up some awesome um, aluminum legs that are going to be used on this live-edge table that I'm going to make in a couple of weeks. And, and so... I don't know. It's just super fun for me to look at all this old stuff. And the challenge for me is to like, how can I take this and make it into something completely different or something completely new? When I'm there, um, there's always all these crazy, awesome old tools. But there seems to be this thing, at least here in Toledo, where uh, people know that these tools are worth something. And so they all seem to be overpriced. Like mm. a lot of the antique stores are full of overpriced stuff. So for me, if you want to find some good stuff, go to the flea market instead um, or, or, or Craigslist because the antique store stuff is just ridiculous. Yeah. Around here, like if you want to, if you want to find any of that type of stuff, um, garage sales and, and uh, yeah. estate sales are the place to do it because people know what things are worth here. Cause it's a, it's a big like antique town. So if it's in a store, no matter what it is, it's overpriced. Mm-hmm. So we got to go. Like I've always looked for tools and instruments and what else? Old video game stuff. I used to, you know, like I bought an Atari and a Nintendo for like 12 bucks each at a <laughs> yard sale one time. And it was just full of games, tons and tons of games. But that seems to be the place that you can get stuff at a reasonable price around here. Did you guys happen to notice a couple weeks ago in, in a vlog that I did? I found this old machine that punches the word canceled into used checks. Did you guys ever see that thing? <laughs> yeah, I did yeah, see that. I, did. Little, I bought holes, that thing. Right? I bought that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's going to be a video, uh, a collection video. Maybe I'll do that next. A collection video. I have a couple of machines that, that punch type. So I, I like collecting old machines that have typeface, like as the net result. I have a machine that punches stencils from about 1870. And then, of course, my printing presses, which I would include in that. And then this machine, which is, uh, it's so funny to me because it's something that a banker uses to just cancel a check. But it punches the word canceled through the check with these series of maybe probably 100 pins. And each pin spells out the word sequential pins. And the funny thing to me is that nowadays, that would be like a $10 thing you buy at Staples that would end up in the landfill. To punch the word. And mm. now this thing I bought is a cast iron thing made in everything. Everything cool and cast iron is made in Chicago. So it's this cool old thing made in Chicago in like 1890 or whatever. It's got, it's got black enamel on it. 
and it's got pinstripe on it. So somebody with like a paintbrush painted a pinstripe on this thing, like it was a car. <laughs> and and it weighs like 80 pounds because it's got this big hand crank so that you could push down through like 10 checks and punch the word cancel through them. And I bought it and I didn't even – I was so amazed by this cool object. And I bought it and I was with I was with Laura and, and April and those guys when I bought it. And they were all like, are you going to make the word say Deresta? I was like – Oh, that's a great idea. I wasn't even thinking that. I was just so. <laughs> I probably won't. I will not. I, I, I'm like a purist. I like the way that machine works. I would never start to change the die because the die is very complicated. So <clears throat> it's just a cool machine. So another reason I like old machines is because of the pride that people put into them. I said that a little bit. If it was made now, it would just be like a little plastic hole puncher that's just chink canceled in the corner of the check. Obviously, now that you don't even the the, necess, the, the need for that isn't isn't. Uh, around anymore so I, I just thought this thing was just such a cool object the funny thing is i am not a purist and so when i'm at these antique stores and i'm, I'm picking up these televisions or whatever from the 50s and i take it to the counter to, to buy them i don't if they ask like oh what are you going to do with this i don't tell them that i'm going to tear it up yeah because <laughs> yeah. i feel so bad because i don't know if the person checking me out is a purist and it's just going to look down on me but yeah one thing about those about those those malls, like those antique malls, which always seem overpriced, you know, they're all over the country. If I ever see anything I like, I make an offer, even though it might have a high price on it, because those people who who rent those spots in those antique malls make nothing, because nobody buys that stuff. And so, from time to time, if I see yeah. something I want, like that thing was eighty bucks. And I, I I was willing to pay 80 bucks for it, but I brought it up to the thing and she goes, oh, there's a sale today. Everything in that booth is so many percent off. I ended up paying 60 bucks for it, which was even better. But the point I'm making is, is like, there have been times where I said, this is really cool. Is the person who owned this, will, will he take an offer? And she's like, well, what's your offer? I'll say this. And then she'll get him on the phone and he'll say he'll take it. So the point I'm making is you can negotiate, even though it doesn't seem like that spontaneous mm -hmm. of a place to negotiate in. I have done it. Hmm. I have I've I've wondered about that because the people that are running that boot space are not there, and I'm like, I wish I could talk to them in person. I never even thought to, yeah. you know, have the the mall operators contact them. It, hmm. Like I said, there's always every once in a while there's something like I it's like a must have. So no matter what the price is, I think to myself, I've made 300 videos on YouTube that have hardly cost me a penny aside from my time and if i can buy that cancel check thing for 60 bucks and make a cool little conversational video about it that'll get me some views and get people watching my channel then it's the cost of production so and then i have this cool object as a net result mm -hmm. you know when you think of the cost of like when i used to do those dumb tv shows like uh hammered and whatever dirty money those episodic shows would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to make. And I had, you know, I only got a couple thousand dollars each one of those shows. All that money went to the production of the team of the people of this and that and that and food and the 10 people that had to stand around and pretend to be busy, line producers, whatever they did. We make episodes of shows that get as many views as some of these things. <laughs> and it costs us a half, half an afternoon and, you know, 50 bucks for materials. So when I spend a hundred or two hundred or three hundred dollars or or say a thousand dollars on an antique that I know could be a cool product in a video, to me I just chalk it up as the cost of production for my video series. Yeah. The way to justify That's kind of the cool thing about that's a cool thing about our job is that we can justify a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> as business expense, you know. For sure. But. And it's legitimate. I don't mean that in like a, a getting around it way, but like it's funny to think about all the different things that I've bought for work, you know, 
Um, kind of silly, but Bob, can I ask yeah. you a question? Please do. Uh, the way Miranda says it, can I ask a question? There's behind you. There is. Uh, you guys watch Miranda sings. She's hilarious. No, she's going to be no. my video. <laughs> no, it looks she's not. funny. <laughs> that is that an old stereo behind you, right behind your left elbow? Yes, this is an old stereo that was my uh, granddad's, and oh, cool. he had it at his house, and he it stopped working, and so he pulled it out and was going to like donate it. And I remember being up there one time, and I said, "Like, why is this down? We used to look and listen to records on this thing." And he said, "Well, it doesn't work anymore. the The record player doesn't." And then when he passed away, it was still sitting in that same location, and so, and I, with a few other things, and I told my parents, "Like, oh, I'll drop this off at Goodwill. Somebody can fix it or whatever." And I've always loved that thing, so I brought it oh. back here, and I was like, "Well, let me see if it works." I put a record on; it played, but it was all weird and kind of wobbly. And I'm like, "Well, I don't know what would be other than maybe a belt or the needle." I'll look up needles. So I found a replacement needle on eBay for five dollars. Ordered it, came in, works perfectly. Oh, that's so! Great. Now I have this awesome stereo that I don't have a place to put, but it sounds great. So. Very cool. Awesome. And then, like, on the wall behind me, there's several guitars and several amps and a, uh electric piano. That stuff's all old and stuff that I kind of chase down. Your, is your Batman cowl piano. behind you, too? Is that your Batman cowl on top of the foam hat? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's play what's in Bob's picture. What's all that? What's no, that red thing over your right elbow? <laughs> yeah, there's so much stuff everywhere. But, like, that, that piano, which you can't see because there's a box in front of it, is... Um, from the seventies. And it's one like growing up, you, I always heard this piano. I mean, I played piano, so I was attuned to keyboards sounds and things, but this one sound is super recognizable in just about every kind of music. <clears throat> it has a certain vibrato to it and a certain like kind of ting to the notes and stuff. And I always could pick it out, but I didn't know what it was. And then when I was in college, this band that I liked was I went to see them play and I heard this sound and I'm like, that's the, what is that? What is that? And the guy's playing this Rhodes piano. So I was like, mm. it's a Rhodes. Now I know. And then I could start researching it and I figured out like all the different ones they made and the different lengths, like number of keys and all this stuff. And so I just kind of kept my eyes open for him. And then I ended up finding this one, which was in brand new condition. Um, and it was in Virginia, found it on Craigslist and it was from 1971. And so I ended up, paying for it and paying for the extra for shipping. And they shipped it down here because it has a road case, to, you know, that it comes in. So they, cause they used to take them on the road with them. And so this thing showed up and it's been like one of my favorite instruments since I can't then. even imagine uh, how much the shipping costs. Cause those things weigh a ton. Yes. <laughs> they weigh so much that I wouldn't take this out to play a show with it ever. <laughs> yeah. Ever, I mean, they're so so heavy, and this is an eighty-eight key. It's the full-size piano. It's the heaviest one, you know. Um, but yeah, I think the shipping was like two hundred bucks or something. Yeah, it was a lot. Anyway, uh, we got anything else on reuse, tool reuse? No, no. It's just uh, it's a job in and of itself. Being a hoarder, being a hoarder is a big job. <laughs> it really is. No, I, I've just been told by my building that I have to clean up my basement, so I'm going to be. If actually, if there's any New Yorkers, oh, really? I'll be giving some materials away. So if any New Yorkers want some material, come visit me. I'll give you some free materials and maybe some free machines. I'm actually giving some machines to one of my uh, connects in upstate New York this week. A couple of things. I just got to make room. I need room. So I just give stuff away. They just want you to like loosen the space up yeah, down there? Yeah, I got or too many are things. They trying to- 
You know, like I, I bought a couple shop buyouts and I ended up now I have like seven ladders. Like I don't need seven ladders, but I have like seven ladders that are all like very expensive aluminum and fiberglass ladders. I only need one, but they're all in the space, taking up space. So they're like, could you uh, make some room in your ladder graveyard so that we can get at the meter? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy should so start anyway, your own so I got, market. I, 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 we, we, when I did the flea market at, at, after we did the TV show, I was making a lot of money, but it's just a, it's a, a lot of physical labor. You know, you got to put everything away. It's a pain in the butt. Well, um, you guys been watching or listening or whatever ing to anything cool? I'm going to highlight Make, Build, Modify this week. Very oh, yeah. awesome, awesome supporter of ours. And I don't know why it took me so long to subscribe to his channel and his Instagram. Uh, but it's it's really good stuff. And he's, he's clever, knows how to fix problems and get around things and understands good design. And I love, yeah, he's very, very good designer. And I love the, the hammer rack that doesn't require welding, which is really smart. I'm, I just talked about Miranda Sings. I've been watching Miranda Sings all week, which is so bizarre. <laughs> that it's I, so awful. I, I, really? Are you really watching it? Yeah, oh, me man. and Taylor watch Miranda Sings all the time. And we talk like her for the rest of the week. She's hilarious. I think it's incredible. Lately, she's been coming out because she's promoting her new show on Netflix. So she's doing talk shows as herself. And she's like this beautiful young girl that does not look like this bizarre weirdo that she plays with the lipstick on her face. <laughs> uh, and I happen to see, because I've been watching her a lot, you know, the algorithm gives me pieces of other things where she appears. And she was on, uh, <laughs> she was on the Jimmy uh, Fallon show as herself. And then she turned into Miranda, which was really bizarre because she completely becomes a different person. So Miranda sings. It's probably something, if anybody out there is listening, it's probably something your 10-year-old daughter watches and not something that a 50-year-old man would watch. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, I've been watching PewDiePie lately, and I'm not a gamer, but he actually has some good, funny stuff. And I, I can, he, I mean, he has the biggest YouTube channel in the world, so lots of people watch them. But as a 41-year-old man, I don't know that, I am his target audience, but I have fun watching his videos. <laughs> and another popular YouTuber I've been watching, I don't know how he just started popping up. I had no idea who he was, but now I watch him because he does, he goes through the news really fast and I, and I, I learn stuff from, you know, current events is uh, Philip DeFranco. I don't know if anybody watches Philip DeFranco. He's got like 5 million subscribers. And, and by the way, Miranda's got like eight or seven or 8 million subscribers. And Philly DeFranco, Philip DeFranco is, uh, he just goes through like pop culture and then also some political news and some current events. And he goes through it in like four minutes. And, uh, and he also talks a lot about YouTube uh, rivalries, which is kind of fun. Because that's how you learn about all the YouTube <laughs> stuff that we are not, comp- not, like, not at all involved in. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. The Miranda Sings thing, I... I mean, I, I, what I think is impressive about her is that she, you're right. It is like a total character and she can slip in and out of this character. That's way different than who she is in real life. I just cannot stand it. <laughs> She's, we like, started watching I mean, it like, like a train I'm, wreck I'm like a, and now we like it. So I, I saw that she had the Netflix show and I was like, Ugh, okay, I know, I know I'm not going to like this, but I'm going to give it a shot because it's a YouTuber, right? I want to help support that. It's like, it's cool. And I clicked on the thing and watched eh, maybe 15 seconds of it. And I was like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> so, Bob, I, saw- I really hope your pick this week is a guilty pleasure. <laughs> mm, it's not. I I don't know that I have anything. 
like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, my mine's actually a book. I so I ordered this book and it came in earlier today. You guys ever heard of Sean Thorson? Hmm. No. He is a model maker, prop maker, costume maker, and he's he's done like crazy stuff. Um, really impressive stuff. And he's done a lot of work for Make Magazine. Uh, like he made the giant um, Ed robot from Terminator. Mm-hmm. It's like full size. That's, oh wow! Goes in there. It's like in their office, and he made um, the life size Makey costume that was walking around at Maker Fair this oh, year. Oh, anyway, did he do that so, video series where he was making the fiberglass Makey body? Yeah. Oh, right yeah. on. I know. I'd yeah, Sean, super super talented. Anyway, so he got he has this book that just came out called Props and Costume Armor. And on the front, it has like a sci-fi guy in armor and everything. And so I was like, oh, that'll be kind of like what I'm into right now. I'm interested in learning all these techniques. And so I ordered it thinking it would be a lot of stuff that I, you know, was kind of familiar with in a lot more detail. But it is, it is so much more. Um, oh, cool. There's, there's stuff on, oh, let me look at the, I haven't really gotten to flip through it yet. So he has a whole section on Peppercura. EVA foam, uh, 3D printing and CNC carving, mold making basics, a one and two part molds, rotocasting, va- how to make your own vacuum forming, weathering, strapping and padding for suits, base coats and painting and finishes. I mean, there's a ton of stuff in this book. Oh, wow. So, like, even if you're not into costumes, it's, you know, mold making and vacuum forming stuff is in there. I mean, that's, you can use that in anything. So, Right on. Anyway, it's really cool. I'm, I can't wait to dig into it. But it's one of those books that's packed, you know, top to bottom. It's not like big open pages with a couple of photos and a few. It's like packed with stuff. I just so. got a new book this week. It's called Workshop oh, yeah. Mastery with Jimmy DeResta. It's got a whole box of them. Got to nice. brag a little bit. Cause make, I, bet, I bet that one's a bunch of big blank me. pages with pictures. Right? It's, it's like it's got like four words on each page because that's all I know how to write. It's like I use like my, my vocabulary <laughs> repeats itself like ten times before the end of the book. No, it's um, it, it was it was a lot of work, and I mean, you guys have written books. You know how much work goes into it. It's uh, it was grueling for me because it's not my I first. Not. Uh, it's not the first thing I would choose to do, but it's out there, and I just got word that whatever was on Amazon is sold out. So I'm excited about that. If that means anything, I don't know if that means I'm going to get any more. And uh, yeah, so and then if anybody's in the New York area, before I forget, November sixth at one o'clock, I'll be at the Barnes and Noble in Union Square, hanging out and doing a little conversation. There's a mini maker right going on through Barnes and Noble, the whole chain of stores, on that weekend. So I'm going to be at the New York location. Congrats! Thank you, thank you, guys. Awesome. Thank you very much. It's exciting. Um. Well, before we go, I got to thank our Patreon supporters. Everybody who helps us out over there is awesome. Um, and I want to call out our top supporters, Dan Krupnik, Luis Gonzalez, and Make, Build, Modify, who David you. recommended this week. So thank you guys so much for the support on Patreon. And that is helping us do the Boston thing, which is going to be a ton of fun. I'm really excited about that. Uh, if you want to help us out, go to patreon.com slash making it. And I think that's it for this week. Unless you guys got anything else. Nope. I think we're good. Cool. See you guys next week. <laughs> I love you. Oh. <laughs> you guys are always waiting for me.